Pick a boy born and raised in New Jersey on Springsteen and a Southern California beach bum raised in the 60s and what do you get? Do what you like with Tom Cavanaugh and Bob Telford. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Do What You Like. I am Bobby T, and I'm here in Ventura, California. And as always, I am joined by my illustrious co-host and partner in crime, Tom Cavanaugh, coming from Edison, New Jersey. How are you doing today, Tom? Good morning. I'm here on the here on the East Coast. Yeah, exactly. Weather. I- Wishing I was with you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are. We're definitely coast to coast uh, with this show. So let's let's get started because we've got a wonderful guest today that I want to you know have a conversation with. I know you do, Tommy. Um, our guest today is an award-winning actor as well as a director, producer, teacher, coast coach, and artistic director of the White Fire Theater in Sherman Oaks, California. He's proud to be celebrating its 37th year. And in the 15 years he's owned the White Fire, he's produced over 500 shows, as well as over 50 world premiere productions, including Blood Brothers, Love Like Blue, Mark Twain in the 20th Century, Seasons of Change, and many others. He has directed and acted in the world premiere of the critically acclaimed production of Firehouse, as well as directing the NAACP Best Solo Show of the Year Award, Billy, backstage with Lady Day about the life of Billy Holiday. He directed and starred in the 50th anniversary production of Harold Pinter's The Dumb Waiter, as well as produced and directed the world premiere of Fetish and the world premiere of the kids' show Old School as part of his Young Actor School. He founded the famous Itchy Foot Cabaret in downtown L.A., and as has also been a member of the famed South Coast Repertory. He acted, I'd rather he trained at ACT in San Francisco. His film and TV credits include the critically acclaimed movie Rampart with Woody Harrelson, the horror movie Under the Bed with Johnny Miller, and some of his other film TV credits include Sons of Anarchy, Prime Suspect, Desperate Housewives, Scandal, Southland, Bones, Big Love, 24, and many others. Please welcome to Do What You Like, Brian Rasmussen. Welcome, Brian. Brian, pleasure <laughs> to have you. Honored to have you, man. I'm so excited. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Good yeah, to be Tommy, here. Tommy, start this off, will you? So, first, Brian, obviously, you kicked it off as an actor, first division. Where do you come from, and, and what turned on the light bulb to start acting? Well, I can't. I come from Colorado. Um, that's where I grew up. I was born in Tucson, Arizona, um, about three years old. My dad was in the military, so um, we moved uh, to his final uh, station in um, uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado, and that's where I grew up. Um, not a lot of theater around there, but uh, um, it was a beautiful place to, to grow up. Um, and a kid in the 70s uh, growing up there it was you know, about as beautiful as it can get. I always was looking at Pikes Peak every day. Um, thought everybody had that particular uh, view. And um, uh, I, I basically, uh, you know, did some um, school musicals and things like that. And um, um, I got into plays um, from my best friend uh, in high school. Uh, he was kind of the star of the department and I was doing some musicals and stuff there. But uh, he got me into a play and uh, I started doing that and, um, you know, ended up uh you know, I was pretty active in a lot of uh, student government stuff and everything, trying to get 
you know, things accomplished in high school. And, but uh, I ended up because of all that, I, ne- I didn't get a scholarship or anything to any school, which my counselor was rather surprised at. And, um, but, uh, you know, basically um, I got into a school in San Francisco, a small fine arts school called Lone Mountain College. Um, and uh, they gave me some financial aid. So I, uh, I you know, was either I, I was either going to go to the East Coast, or the West Coast. And I only had a sister in, on the West Coast. And that's what got me to to, to go up there. And um, I went, uh, uh, you know, to San Francisco and then um, came down here. And um, I've been here pretty much ever since down in Los Angeles, uh, uh, you know, going through South Coast Rep and uh, a lot of different places. And that's kind of how I got got going in, in, in acting. And, and um, you know, I, I wanted to do film and television, but I didn't really know anything about it, of course, which now has led me to um, working, you know, for 40 years now in in, uh, in film and TV and theater. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's kind of how that all got, you know, got me going. And but the, the, the big weird story is how I got the theater, because that was not a goal of mine. Um, I had, uh, you know, was bartending at the time and working nonstop to try and make ends meet. And um, uh, a friend of mine had, had, had contacted me and said, you know, did you know, the white fire was for sale. And I said, no, I, I, I didn't. And I, I'm not sure why I called him up. I didn't know him, but I didn't know, know him. Right, I mean, right. it wasn't a friend or anything, but I'd met him. So I just called him up and asked him a couple of questions. And even though I didn't have any money, literally nothing, hmm. it just didn't seem that outrageous of a, of a, of a cost. And so um, I had a buddy who had watched me go from auditions and, and all that to actually being on TV and stuff. And so he was fascinated by the whole process. And he said, well, let's go take a look at it. And so we did. And, and then they said, let's um, tell him you want to go to the le- next level. And I said, what does that mean? He said, just tell him that. So I did. And then uh, we went back and he said, okay, so I think I can, you know, throw in a chunk of change, about 10 grand. And uh, if you can get some other people to do the same, we might be able to pull this off. And I said, oh, really? Okay. And I'm not a big businessman in my world, or I would have gone into that. <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> simpler business to go into, but, right. uh, yeah. but I, uh, you know, I, I, something was telling me I should, you know, move forward. And, um, it's about six months of a lot of negotiation and everything. And um, finally was standing in the theater on January 9, uh, 2005. And uh, it a little difference in the bio is that this is actually now the 40th anniversary season. 40th, right? And um, wow. I've had now going into my 18th year, which is crazy because I didn't, you know, I didn't even think it was going to be anything. I thought it was just like I was doing at the time, which is going from project to project to project. And uh, I would always try and make it as um, diverse as possible as far as what I was kind of projects I was doing. I was really into that. And, you know, I was a chameleon actor, so I'd completely changed my appearance and everything to become the character as we were you know, trained to do. Sure. Um, and that's uh, that's how I did. And I did about three plays a year for 15 years and racked up about 45 plays and worked at South Coast Rep for about nine years. Was their young Scrooge in their annual Christmas Carol production, which was just fat incredible and well, uh, it's one of the best known productions annual productions yeah. obviously yeah. because of, yeah. of um, so um, so in that process though of of uh deciding to make become a, a theater owner was was there a light bulb moment was there a hold your nose and jump moment what was oh did, did the thought did, did you second guess it a little bit in the beginning well 
I, I, I really, you know, I just, it seemed, you know, I just kind of was on for the ride. You know, I was just like, uh, let's see if it, it happens. And, and it was incredibly stressful. Um, uh, but then, you know, because it's so well known, the theater was, you know, pretty booked back to back for the first three years I had the business. And then um, the recession hit. Right. And um, then it was panic time and trying to figure out. And I had a um, six week dark spot coming up um, and uh, I, I wasn't able to fill yet. And I couldn't have survived that. So I uh, had a dark, desperate night of trying to figure out what I was going to do and came up with um, some ideas to, in order to do that. And so I um, um, had done my own solo show on Van Gogh back in the 90s that I did for about nine years, went to Edinburgh, performed at the Getty Museum and things like that. And right. uh, so I really got an idea of what it was like to do solo work and it's very difficult to do and everything. So I, I decided that, um, you know, it seemed to be what was, everything was moving towards all the energy and stuff. So I just kind of said, okay, let's see what happens. And what I had to do though, I didn't have projects. And so I had to just fill the six week dark slot. And so I was working on this uh, in my class that I was teaching. I was working on a, one of my students says working on a um, solo show of Billie Holiday. And um, another student was working on one about Humphrey Bogart. And so I got this idea to put both of them in one night, Billy and Bogey and um, make it um, and run on Saturday nights, just like six Saturday nights. And then I got um, a night of one acts um, on Fridays and then um, some 10 minute comedies on the other night, Thursdays, and ran those vertically. You know, it was a vertical run rather than a lateral run. And it worked. It saved us. It, it kept us going. And then I started to figure out if I could do this all the time, you know, and be more self um um, contained rather than having to wait for the phone to call in order to book the space, et cetera. And one of the things though is different about white fire that uh, than most of the other theaters in town is that we're not a nonprofit. We're not a, um, uh, a fundraising type of element. Cause um, when I was in a lot of big companies in town, um, that just, I saw just burn out all the companies, just constant fundraising, whether right. the actors right. gang or, you know, the odyssey or whatever, they were always, always um, behind the eight ball. And um, I watched them burn out the best of companies. And I was like, I, I don't like paperwork. I don't like all that stuff. So I chose not to become a nonprofit. And basically, it's a brick and mortar ticket sales type of business. But I do I go way more than um, that by co-producing and coming up with better ways, um, as you have experienced, to produce shows without um, people dropping everything up front money wise and then right. um hoping that ticket sales uh you know restores that but but the truth is is that you know the numbers and everything in, in uh, the theater are very very difficult it's it's a hard business it's very difficult to run that's why everything's funded usually right. but i spent a lot of sleepless nights trying to figure out a better way to produce theater and how to do this and afford it and that's when I came up with this thing that I did for that six week dark slot, which is um, vertically running a show. And so I thought, because solo shows is what started that idea, because solo shows are notoriously difficult and they're notorious um, money pits. They're very difficult to produce. And so I, I found, realized that they should only run once a week and, um, and run you know, once a week for six weeks instead of three shows a week for six weeks, which was the normal 
run for shows and um because three nights a week for six weeks will absolutely decimate a solo show so right so um that's how we started the solo runs of those and running that way and then i decided wondered if regular shows could run that way and what we called and we created what's called vertical rep which is multiple shows in the space in the same week and they run once a week and can run longer periods of time that's how billy has run for 13 years um over that on that kind of um template right and so it was a whole different way of producing um and we we don't um you know like a rental or something where people pay up front and and then use the space you hand them the keys and they they do it we're a whole different situation in that we help and support and co-produce with them by um letting the audience pay their bills rather than their own checkbooks and you know right. a small deposit to get into the space and their paperwork and then the rest comes out of their weekly box office and we don't take a big part of the gross we just uh, we we hit the nut and then they keep the rest so you know they fill the house and and we just figured out it's a numbers game of one night of 60 people was better than three nights of 20 right and, exactly um, new plays and and things like that that's very difficult to do and so um that's what ended up uh you know starting that and it is now the only way we produce and it's it's um some show, um, theaters in new york have started to adapt that uh template and uh because in new york uh everyone's trying to run their shows forever i mean it, it's right. here it's a you know a, a couple of months or something like that maybe in new york they want to run for years because that's just the way that the market works over there so that ended up working and that's what we're doing now and we do it differently. So um, that's how we've been able to survive. And that leads us into the whole way we were able to survive the pandemic um, because most theaters, you know, all went but down. Well, most people in LA don't know you were on to something back in 2015, 16, you wired the theater with cameras. You were ready to stream but way before COVID came to town, you yeah. were ready to stream live from the theater back in 2014, 2015, correct? Yes. I, we actually live streamed a play we were doing called Firehouse by Pedro Garcia, which is um, um, about a uh, racial issues in a Bronx firehouse. And um, he wrote that and we did that play and uh, we live streamed at the end of our nine month run because it can run that long. Um we live streamed uh, the final performance uh, on 9-11, which was the 10th anniversary oh, I didn't know that. Wow. of 9-11 in 2010. So, but it was a completely different situation. Cables, trucks, people, right. you know, cost. It was crazy. And, but you um, came up with a self-contained system in the house. Yes, yes. And, and the cables what, you know, weren't obvious. Nothing was right. obvious because so right. the audience knows I went to – I moved to LA in 2014 and I lived around the corner from the white fire. So I watched the white fire, not knowing, and then ended up bringing shows to white fire and working in the white fire. Yeah. And that's where I was introduced to the vertical programming, which worked to my advantage as a, as mm -hmm. a, as a producer. Yeah. But you also, you, we got to put in there. Anybody that wants to book it in the vertical program, you end up getting discounted if you're booked on both ends and it yeah. makes it more affordable and the staff's included. It was just a great program. But then the offer came, we're going to stream. And we didn't know what streaming was. We didn't right. really catch on to streaming the theater, but you were onto that. Well, it if, you know, well, that's, you know, that's, I think it's kind of 
exactly what Los Angeles is. It's a hybrid, you know, and um, and so it takes different handling of Los Angeles uh, content and stuff just because people in Los Angeles um, have already done New York, uh, Chicago, their, their theater uh, stuff there. And then they come to Los Angeles to work in film and television. Normally, most of the people and but they still want to do theater. Yeah. So um, I wanted to create, and that's exactly what I was doing, you know, because I work in film and TV as an actor and, um, and I'm, and I own a theater. So I, uh, plus we have a lot of film festivals. Um, we, we host the Sherman Oaks film festival and a bunch of film festivals because that's what I like. And, and I just felt that Los Angeles needed to incorporate, and this is the issue in general, film and television and theater don't work together. Um, that's the case in all universities and colleges. The departments don't work together, which is crazy. Right. I witnessed that in every place I was at, and I just never understood it because um, um, the movie industry gets all their talent from theater. I mean, anybody has all come through the, the theater, and I just didn't understand why there was this thing. And, and so I, I tried to incorporate that for years. And finally, I think after all of my situations, I, I just figured out that both of the industries basically um, think they're better than the other. That, oh. that, that theater thinks it's art art, and um, not selling out like film and TV and film and TV thinks theater is kind of um, amateur community well, theater type of thing. Right. Well, in general, I'm not talking that everybody, but in general, that was kind of the vibe. Yeah. There's a weird yeah. snobbery to flow. Well, you, you yeah. know what, you know what it boils down to is, is that the audience in Los Angeles there's so many, and and when I was as an actor, I would hear it all the time whenever I was doing plays, and it was difficult to get audiences in there. There's too many other options available to an audience in Los Angeles because mm -hmm. of you know the weather patterns. They can go to the beach, they can go to the mountains, they can and and television and film and and theater are really not. In fact, it was pointed out to us by uh, um, Anthony Apes, and I think said, look. They're not in competition with one another unless yeah. you're looking at the competition to get an audience. Otherwise, people go to the theater because they want to see the live theater, mm -hmm. which is a whole different animal from seeing a show on TV on their TV set at home or going yeah. to a, a darkened theater to see a feature film. So yeah. I, I think that that it, once you once you realize the differences between them, then you can say, okay, fine, I want to go to see some live theater tonight. I have friends of mine that'll call me up and say, hey, we're going to a jazz club on Friday night. So obviously mm -hmm. there are pockets of entertainment that still exist. Um, I think the, the trick is, and going back to what you were saying about you know bringing in the live streaming, if you look at other business models and borrow the things that work from them mm -hmm. and utilize them in your own business model, you can enhance whatever it is that you're doing. And in this particular case, it's live theater. I mean, I don't know. Do you agree with that or? I, I do. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's just one of those. Um, it just kept coming up, you know, and I'm a, I'm a big instinctual actor, you know, I mean, right, I'm always right. gauging it and how it feels and does this feel right? And, and, and um, is this the right path um, as we do as actors, you know, we're always checking. Sure. Um, and um, figure trying to figure stuff out. But um, I think it was just, you know, this whole thing. And, and there's a lot of pushback for from theater bringing cameras in. And, um, you know, I understand that because it's not been done well. 
And it, you know, they're they're usually shot from the back of the theater. They're usually, you know, blowing out the the, the light, and um, you're not able. And the sound isn't as great. It's more of a, you know, I'm in the back watching a type of uh, vibe. And um, when we started doing the live streaming, um, and and how that kind of got my idea um, is that my nephew is one of the film producers at Facebook, and they deal with all the um, Oculus VR and everything. And he brought right. one of the headsets home to Christmas a number of years ago. And I put that thing on and I was blown away. Yeah. But mm. how can we, you know, incorporate this? Incorporate but then that, I realized right. that we're not trying to create virtual theater or anything. We were trying to create um, live theater to be able to view it from anywhere in the world. And, and so yeah. that's Great. what, and, and because I just think it's important to, um, you know, theater like jazz, um and um poetry and you know they're they're they're, they struggle for audiences and stuff and have forever and um you know theater is one of those things where it needs to be exposed uh to a worldwide audience and i just thought people would be interested in in los angeles theater if it was done right and and so totally and not only theater full-scale productions but when you you mentioned solo you've also become a premier playhouse for developing solo shows and then hosting solo fest which nobody was doing for a while and that's another thing that in the la area solo fest has become a yearly tradition and people look towards it now can you talk about solo fest and and your process because you you actually bring up the shows which is amazing yeah, it, you know, like I said, I wanted to create a safe harbor for artists that are doing solo work because it's so difficult. Right. Um, we had already been doing that when I had the space as far as um, having solo shows in and all that. But I didn't come up with Solo Fest until um, 2012 or something like that. And um, and that uh, just was the next step from doing so many solo work be- things before. And again, I wanted to have a better support system for solos because most of the time they're on somebody else's set they're on somebody else's lighting plot they're on you know they're they're just they're just kind of given the short end of the stick um how many many solo shows uh went up when you were live only how many solos before pandemic how many went up right when we were doing the pandemic right before the pandemic we were doing 80 shows in 90 days wow 80 80 productions in 90 days we do a a one one yeah we do one complete production a day unlike a fringe festival which is multiple ones we wanted the whole day that you can custom lighting light the piece um get all their tech done make it seem like you know it's it's a production that's going on for a long time and we do it for one day um we tech all afternoon do the show Um, and then the next day we do another show and we do them, you know, for about six weeks or so, uh, it's expanded, started out as a two or three week festival. And then, you know, now it's up to six to eight weeks. Great. And, um, it's amazing. And and that's what we were, you know, and because of all the solo content, solo content is owner operated content. So the, the ability to broadcast, um, live, uh, work like that was doable because of that and like you know you can't really do published plays or anything like that because you know the, there's conflict with that so so solo shows are these, these kind of amazing pieces of work that you know i think it's still the purest form of storytelling in theater because it's just a a story and um, all the information is created in our mind so that we're creating the images and stuff rather than you know a, a movie which is done by editing and, and visual um, storytelling like that. And so 
solo work um, also um, kind of changed from being a vanity production, you know, um, uh, rather and and more of a personal journey um, genre. Right. And um, and that's has changed. I think the importance of the work. Um, like mine was on Van Gogh, you know, you have Babe Lincoln shows and, you know, there's a great um, um, sh- uh, production of Friends or with friends of mine called Easy Targets um, right. that, uh, you know, is a spoof of solo work. And it is absolutely hilarious. That is one of the funniest shows I've ever seen. And Easy Targets been running for what, five or six years? Maybe at least. More? I mean, we I worked with them back you know, when we were at the um, Ivy substation in a company um uh, and we were doing things there and so i knew all those guys over there so is there is there a wi-fi process so let's say uh, somebody wants to walk in or contact you says i got an idea show but i have no experience in producing i'm an actor and i want to get this off and do you send them to you have people you know, do you yeah. still have people in house that here's the class to take here's the less so now just because all the classes stopped with the with the pandemic sure, and everything. right um, but but yeah, I mean, there, there is, but um, it's it's, uh, you know, we just take more time to help support the actors because we're an actor driven company. You know, we're not right. we and I'm an actor and everybody who works here is working in the business and stuff. So we we're, we're a little bit different than most theater owners. Um, and, um, you know, again, like like uh, Sacred Fools and all of our my friends over there and all, all the ones in the in the community are all doing it. Um, one way and we just uh you know i'm i'm actually one of the luckier guys in town in that i don't have to satisfy a subscription audience or do that even like the taper does i mean so we get to kind of do what we want to do and work with the people we want to work with and that is a, a massive amount of freedom and uh independence that most do not have and so uh everything is dependent on funding and um after the uh whole um, change in the presidency and everything like that four or five years ago, whatever. Um, I wanted to keep and be self-sufficient. I didn't right. want to rely on government or, or, or grants or anything else to be able to run my business. And so that's why I stayed away and ran it kind of independent. And that's why we're still able to do so, it. And it was the only theater in the entire uh, country that was able to produce live content uh, during the pandemic. We, uh, we, right. We, we shot and um, screened 150 solo shows during the pandemic, and that's what kept us alive. Um, we were able to sell tickets. And, and coming up with this thing, I mean, the, these guys, these performers just didn't barely make it. They There were performers that took home large amounts of money. When I say large, you know, a couple of thousand dollars um, after they paid their bills from doing their show because they were selling tickets to a worldwide audience. And that... Watching a performer break into tears when you're handing them um, that kind of money is worth every piece of uh, difficulty that I've had to endure. And uh, it's uh, it's it, it. I saw it work and I was like, this this is working. And people were just getting very um, um, finally open to the idea of having cameras because they saw when they're when you're talking. And then we put the, our camera in the front row center. So the can the uh, performers are talking directly to the lens, which is unusual. Right. But what it does is it, it allows the audience to have that connection emotionally and in sure. the storytelling, um, as opposed to two cameras on the sides of the house and then editing and, and doing that. Ours is right there. And so it really gives you a sense. And I've seen the connection happen over and over. And for me, the excitement was being able to shoot theater theatrically. 
and and how to do that and what makes it still theater versus just film or TV. Um, and uh, that was what was really interested me and inspired me to keep going because I saw it work night after night after night. But the stress of of a live stream production was yeah, heavy way work. more than I anticipated, way yeah. more. And uh, and so we had to deal with a lot of that. Um, I frankly, how a director does live sports in the booth of camera one, go and, and do that over two or three hour period. I, I'm surprised those guys aren't dropping right and left. Uh, well, I, I I could share with you, having done multi-camera uh, directing, uh, it, it is very stressful, but there is a rhythm to it. Mm-hmm. And, and and if you've got the sensibility, you know, then it's it's not as hard as, as, as you might think. Although it really does take the observational skills required to do it are uh, essential. Without it, you, you're screwed as a, as a multi-camera director. Um Based on what you've accomplished so far, and by the way, I wanted to ask you, you, how did you assemble your tech team? I mean, because obviously you have the artistic sensibilities, but when you get into a whole thing with this technology of streaming, Tom and I experienced this firsthand when yeah. we did uh, the, the show Now, Now, Now that he wrote and directed. Was mm-hmm. so, it was a total COVID-safe, Zoom-based production with actors on both coasts but it also incorporated video and audio and all that. It was a huge learning curve for us. How did you overcome the obstacles of the technologies and all of that? (laughs) Well, I'm laughing because I'm not a tech guy, you know, and that, that was um, not my field. And so um, Brandon Lozer, who uh, is one of the co-creators of Santasia, that is a hit Christmas show that's been running in Los Angeles for 20 years. Wow. Um, he is, you know, knowledgeable about that stuff. So him and I um, were collaborating and I had another um, friend that was into uh, video and film and everything. And, and unfortunately has passed away. Mm. Um, but uh, he's the one that turned me on to this new camera system uh, that could be self-contained in, in live streaming. And um, uh, we actually live streamed. 40 solo shows uh, in the pandemic, right before the pandemic uh, in the solo fest that we were doing. And we did those on Wi-Fi and that, and as opposed to plugged hard into the ethernet and not knowing, yeah, not knowing that, you know, the ramifications of buffering and, you know, all these other things. And what we really came up with, which was interesting is that no matter how much tech we had, high speed Wi-Fi, incredible um, equipment, you know, camera, digital lens, all that stuff. What I didn't plan on was the lack of knowledge, lack of tech expertise on the receiving end, meaning they don't have a fast enough Wi-Fi. They don't have good IT skills. They don't even know how to push the button to make the live stream thing work. That's right. that That was something I was like, oh, wow, this is something that we can't control. We don't know how that's gonna work. So that that took a lot of maneuvering and, and um, the, you know, cause we do live theater all the time, but the stress of doing a live stream was way more. And that, that, and, and frankly, stress was the last thing I was want, looking for because um, from when I was talking about before, when we were, uh, had that dark slot of six hours, uh, six sure. weeks that I had to fill, that was during the pandemic, I mean, during the uh, recession, 
from 2012 or 2008 to 2012, yeah. I thought I was going to lose the business every month for four years. The stress of thinking I was going to lose it, it was like, it was outrageous. I would have to get up every morning and throw up from stress in order to continue my day. And um, it was getting to be too much. And I was just about ready to pack it in. I was like, this is, this seems to be too, too much stress. I don't know about anybody else, but this doesn't seem what, uh, right. like a good idea. And, um, and uh, some things shifted and that's what happened. And so I was able to continue and we did that for quite a while. And, but um, finally in 2016, um, I was, I had a heart attack mm. um, and um, it, yeah. Uh, yeah, it knocked me down. Um, I was able to um, survive that luckily. Um, lots of things went into that. It was such a surreal experience. Um, but uh, I, I survived that and, and still doing well to this day. But the funny thing is that when I was in these um, auditions um, with all the heads of the theaters, I was sitting with Ron Saucy and Gary uh, um, and uh, Grossman and uh, Joe Stern and me. And we were all talking about it. And we realized that all four of us had had heart attacks. Oh, Jesus. Wow. All four of us running theater uh, at all had heart attacks. And we thought, is this deadliest catch somehow? Is this a difficult? I mean, who, why didn't anybody tell us? And right. we were just laughing because it is. It's incredibly stressful um, to be able to survive. And then this hit the pandemic after we were just getting on top of everything. And then again, we started right. to figure it out. And then this hit. And I had to have a, you know another come to Jesus meeting with myself to sit there and figure out if I could survive this because there's no way. Um, and because we're not a nonprofit, we didn't qualify for a lot of the, the grants that were going out and all this other stuff. And so the live streaming thing is what saved us. And we did a GoFundMe campaign that helped us get through the first three months when the stay at home mandate was in place. We needed to get the actors even to come to the theater. Right. Um, and then once we were able to do that, the ticket sales from all of that enabled us to survive. And of course, some friends and family and, and helping us get, move along um, allowed us to, to make it through this in, uh, entire uh, episode. So that's how it all kind of went. So, now this, this drive that you have, it's obvious that there, there's a force Amazing. In, yeah. in, in Brian Rasmussen. Always. Where do you think it came from? Has it always been there? Or did somebody instill a, 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 you know, I mean, was there someone that maybe said to you, you have got it, young man, you need to go out there and and uh, conquer all, you know, uh, there is to be conquered. Where does it come from? Listen, I, I've had a lot of support in my life, but there wasn't, I never got that. Let me help you out. Let me take you under my arm and guide you and give you some, some advice. I, I never really um, did that, but for me personally, uh, what really helped, um, and Tom knows, uh, Bobby Moresco, who runs the Actors Gym and sure. Academy Award winning writer and director, and his insight uh, to the whole process and, and everything. And I had a conversation with him one day about the difficulty and all this stuff and and uh, uh, of running it and, and everything and, and success and, you know, what it looked like and all that stuff. He goes, Brian, I got to tell you. I've got an Academy Award. I've got two of them. And he said, I, I, uh, I got to tell you, happiness really comes from, and true success is being able to do what you love. And that, that 
you know, it, at first it sounded kind of like a cliche uh, coming from him, but um, the more and more I thought about it, the more and more it became really true. And if it's coming from him, you know, I'll, I'll listen because he's one of the great artists I've met in this, sure. in this business. And um, he's incredibly supportive and uh, he's uh, been now at the theater um, probably at least a dozen years. Yeah. Um, he has been a part of the white fire and we've produced together and, and he is, he is a fantastic human and artist. Wow. And, uh, so he really kind of helped with that when I was going through the difficulty and how he handled his own, um, situations and stuff, because, right. you know, he had, um, people rip him off during, um, other producers during uh, crash, you know, you think when you get to that level that that's not stuff's not yeah, going to happen. It absolutely did. And, um, you know, he's just um, been doing it over and over. And he's got such a great work ethic. It's it's that's the thing that's really been inspiring for me. Um, but there was not really one situation that I said the drive just kept coming from my own personal drive. It's so funny that you said that, because just this morning I was on a Zoom with my my good friend, Pedro, who I talk to almost every day. He lives in Brooklyn, but right now he's out here because we're working on some projects together. But, um, you know, I get these auditions because I'm still working and, um, uh, you know, you're doing self tapes now and everything. And, sure. and this one thing came up and it's, you know, it's like 17 pages. Uh, it's it, it's, you know, shoots in um, Romania and all this other stuff. And I'm just going, I, 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 this just this doesn't feel right for me. And he's like, tell him you can't do it, man. Just tell him you can't do it. You shouldn't be going through stress. You can't have stress. Right. And I and I never turn down anything i i'm i'm one of those guys that i just it, it goes against who i am right and um uh, i'm with you on that one and, and he said i'm telling you just do that and i was like okay and i did and he goes they're gonna understand they're not gonna right. and sure enough i just while we were doing this i got my uh, note from my agent going we understand no problem and you never say he, no anyways so well it. that's right and because it you know it was just like and um it it's you know, I'm not getting any younger. And uh, it's it's weird because with with this business, because of all the deadlines and everything, time passage is just racing by. Racing. And um, and it does. And, you know, I still look in the mirror and I don't recognize the guy I'm looking at. And uh, I'm we're still trying. 20. Right. I know. I know. I am. I, I am so, in my, being an actor. You don't have all of the um, you know things around you to kind of um, pass time and, 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 you know, kids, family. Right. right. Uh, houses cars and all that stuff you know that was just not a part of my world and um and uh so it it has been uh an emotional um ride and uh the the drive just keeps coming from you know something inside i, I just keep um uh uh rocking it and 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 i am it, it's proving to work meaning the the six week dark thing that idea worked and so all these things keep working so i just keep going well i guess this is the path this is the way i'm supposed to be but and same with the theater i mean i'm by myself i right. mean I, when, well, when, I was going, when i was going through the difficulty it really felt basically like i was living in a mansion with no job right that's and then so i had to figure out every month how i was going to pay for this mansion because so it's it's not something I would never have. And this is in one of the great neighborhoods in Los Angeles right. and one of the great spaces also. And so it, every day I still come in going, 
how did this, how did this happen? This yeah, especially a- because you're in the valley, and and that's yeah. one of the things everybody goes, oh, yeah. valley, no, oh, the valley's yeah. dead. Yeah, but it's but like you, a paradise. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. And, and that's that's you're exactly right. People would say that, oh, I don't want to go into the valley, but the truth is, is it's incredible. Yeah, the valley it's, it's is beautiful. It's, really, it's awesome. Sherman Oaks is one of the coolest right. little places to live. I've lived in pretty much both places. All the I've lived, even lived at the beach. I've lived in Echo Park. I've lived downtown. I've lived all over. But Sherman Oaks is pretty, pretty great. It feels like a small town. It so is. You're not feeling like you're in, you know, uh, Metropolis. Right. And um, I just, Plus, you I, got all the restaurants there on Ventura. I mean, Boneyard absolutely. Bistro, all those places, you know, it's you're like. exactly right. You're exactly yep. right. No, it's wonderful. So in the vein <laughs> of the show and what we learned, especially during pandemic, people are making this decision. I've been doing, I've been, uh, uh, I've been doing this job for 15, 20 years. I'm now yep. going to go out and do what I like to do. What yep. makes me happy. You just hit a major nerve in why we're doing what we're doing. So anyone who's got that inspiration, what would you advise anybody that wants to start a theater company? Cause when I was in grad school, that's what they told us. They're like, don't try to knock on the door to big theaters, start right. your own. And what would you advise somebody who's always loved it and wants to do it starting today? Well, it's funny you say that, Tom, because you're certainly one of them. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough, my very first feature film that I did back in 1986, something like that, Billy Bob Thornton was on wow. and he was one of the extras. And uh, we became friends on that film and have stayed friends ever since. And, uh, you know, he's got that famous story of um, being a waiter catering a party where Billy Wilder was at. And uh, they started to chat and um, Billy Wilder said, listen, you know, you're not good looking enough to be a, a movie star. Um, so write, 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 write your own projects, write your own right. stuff. And he listened to that. And of course, he then created um, a Sling Blade. Um, he was doing a solo show on it. And um, right. he uh, then uh, I happened to just go to Sun. I mean, to tell you ride um, with a buddy of mine. And didn't know his he had done that. And I'm sitting in the in the in the seats and Sling Blade comes on. I'm like, oh, my God, this is Billy Bob. Holy crap. Let's watch this. This is funny. By the end of this, I'm going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is, yeah. Oh. And so I, I, I got a hold of him when he was back here. And, um, you know, he's just he is one of the most phenomenal humans on the planet. Billy Bob Thornton is people wonder why he is who he is. How did he get with Angelina and all this stuff? Because he's incredible. He's an incredible human. One of the kindest souls on the planet and um, incredibly um, uh, beautiful spirit and really, really an awesome and uh, guy. And so he uh, this thing of and I push this in my class and stuff of creating your own work. I mean, sitting around waiting for somebody else. And that's the story of an actor. We have to wait for a project in order to work. We can't just write and do our own work it's it's very unempowering and in a way emasculating for those of us who are trying to take care of a family or take care of our 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 our, um spouses or whatever when you can't make a living i mean van gogh says that in his writings it's it's incredibly emasculating and and not being able to um control your own finances and your own destiny is, is is a horrible difficulty uh and um he uh you know did that and he just kept writing with his with his pal and uh, they created all those projects and of course now you know goliath and everything else he's um sure. you know he's he's uh an inspiration for me and uh, has been since we first met and 
um, he uh, uh, gave that advice and uh, was given that advice. And I think that's exactly what I continue to teach my students is that you got to create your own content, especially right. now with um, the ability to, you know, do yeah, your own yeah, um, it's filming. It's been democratized. You can do it. Right. right. Well, and, yeah. and Tom and I have always, I mean, this has been my mantra for since day one is, is that rather than sit around and wait for somebody else to give you the job, if you come up with a project and you put it out there and people see it, then they go, oh, yeah, it's like the Billy Bob Thornton show. Uh, you know, this story rather, you know, he did the short originally. Yeah. And yes. that, you know, and, and it was black and white and a whole bit, which everybody's, huh? oh, don't do black and white and all that. <laughs> and yet you always say no, he got it yeah. done. You know, the other thing I was uh, what I find remarkable about your 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 career is, is that you didn't stop with just because the theater is a big, a big you've got the other program. Like, I want to find out more about the Itchy Foot uh, Cabaret and the yeah. Young Actor and the Young Actor School. I mean, obviously, you are passionate about this and you do love what you're doing because you're producing not only solo fest and running the theater and all that. You're going beyond that with these other programs. Can you talk a little bit about those two programs? Well, you know, I think as an artist, the only way we can do anything is through our work. Yeah. You know, and, and so I've always used that. Um, I'm, I'm an activist, you know, I'm, I'm very, um, into our communities and, and things like that. And, um, but we can only do so much and, but I have a theater. And so for an example, um, two years ago when, um, the George Floyd murder happened, uh, I feel very, very strongly about that stuff. Sure. I'm very anti-racist and, and we, as, uh, um, despite the name of our theater, we are very diverse. We're a very yes. diverse theater and have Extremely been for diverse. quite a long time. Yes. And, um, and so I did some research and found, because I created Solo Fest, but I found that there weren't any solely black theater solo festivals in the country. And I, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. And so I thought, well, <laughs> I got to do this. So I created Black Voices uh, last year, which was a solely okay. black. Um, uh, festival of solo work and it and it went great and um but that was a you know a not not an easy path as you can see i'm not black um and uh trying to um understand their path and and support it definitely um had some pushback but once they saw that i was serious and how i thought um we did it and it was incredibly inspiring and uh, we just did another one um and uh so that's how i keep um trying to do things is with my theater and that's the only thing i have and um that's why you know we were able to um do those kinds of work because i had that ability to make the the final decision you know i get to say yes or no and um like a guy who can green light films and stuff but i also learned because tom's one of those examples is truly uh talented artists yeah. are all over this place yep. and um and we need venues we need places to work we need places to launch our our, our craft and and really um and work on a daily basis because we're all type a personalities that are in here we need stuff to do every day and unfortunately yep. actors just don't even if you're working a lot you're never going to work every day Right. And um and yet I need to work every day. I'm, I'm I can't sit around on the couch and do feel, nothing. Right? It's just it, it, that that is not a good day for me if I just sit at home and hang and watch TV. Now, granted, 
I like to chill. When I go on vacations, I just give me a chair and a cocktail and, and, and some water to look at. And that's that's good for me. But, um, um, you know, it really the the itchy foot kind of happened amazingly because it was a restaurant right down by um, the taper. Right. And um, it was close to where I was living in Echo Park. And uh, they had a whole back room and they they were hosting the Mark Tapers literary cabaret, which they had done basically. And they use in the back of the theater and they do readings of new pieces and they developed Jelly Rolls um, last jam. They developed a bunch of stuff. A lot of great playwrights came through there. Um, and uh, and I met a bunch of people during that time and and created um, shows there. I had an improv show that ran for three years on Monday nights. Um, Itchy Feet were the name of the company. Mm. And, uh, and Monday Night Feetball was the name of the show. And everybody said, oh. so Monday nights, <laughs> Monday nights, that's ridiculous. When, and that's when, when was that? Because I think I remember that. That was in 1985. Yes. Uh, yes. And the, and the Fawns were, uh, went, Tom knows them. The Fawns, uh, which is an incredible family of yep. talent. Uh, and um, they were a part of that particular uh, group of, of, of very talented improv people. And it, right. it was incredibly uh, great. great that, and we just did some other stuff. And, um, and then um, that's how that, that started. And, but my thing was, I think most actors, most exciting times in their life is when they're training. Yeah, and and I, I was fortunate enough to train at South Coast Rep, which was their summer conservatory. It was incredible. I met some amazing people, and then I went to ACT, where they were kind of a mess, and that really um, changed. And that's up in San Francisco, right? The ACT. Yes. Here? Yeah, and I went up there right after Long Beach State, and 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 left after the first year. They offered me a second year, but I turned them down because they um I I'd done a hit play um, of uh, Equus. Uh, and I played the, the lead in, in that. And that was a highly um, uh, uh, critical favorite, uh, favorite. And I got incredible reviews, agents. And next thing I know, I'm going up for major stuff. I was up for Mozart and Amadeus and Reservoir Dogs. I mean, it, it, it was rocking. And um, but I'd already scheduled to go to ACT. So I went up to ACT, um, left town right when I'm on fire, which is not the best thing to do. Um, but I would fly down for these big auditions and stuff. And uh, one time they brought me into the office and they said, hey, Bill is concerned. Um, where were you this weekend? And I go, um, not that it's any of your business, <laughs> but um, I was uh, in Los Angeles auditioning for a feature. Why? What's, go what's going on? Well, Bill wants you to stay and focus on your, your training here. That's and Bill. That's Bill Ball you're talking about. Yes, Bill Ball. Yeah. And I yeah. said, um, aren't we training in order to get work? work Isn't that right. the idea? And they said, yes, we want you to focus on that. And I was like, okay, um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not really getting that, but you know, and I walked out going, what the, what the F is this? And, um, I, uh, I again, turned them down to go into the second year, which did not make them happy. And I left and came back down to Los Angeles and said, I'll create my own training with, teachers that I respect down here and create my own training program. And that's what I did. And that's yeah. when I, I started doing that. And that's when I kind of moved into, but training is really because listen, this is the deal after now doing film and TV and making the transition between theater into film and television, 
nobody is training the actors to do that. Nobody no, I, knows no. really what the difference is. And they're saying, oh, it's just dialing it down. And it, it's it's way different than that. Yeah. How to work on a film shot out of order, how to how to emotionally idle on set for hours without burning out, how to do all that stuff and understanding that you're not becoming the character like you do in stage, that you already are that, that you already are that particular part that you're being in. And yes, very few like Gary Oldman, but Gary got Sid and Nancy because he looks like a sleazy heroin addict kind of guy in person. Yeah. He does yeah. like Tim Roth in person when I met him. I mean, he looks like a thug. And so understanding that we already have the character, we're already the character was a huge, yeah, huge. You know, it's funny you mentioned about the, the ACT uh, position with regards to auditioning. Uh, the American uh, the American Academy of Drama uh, also has that behavior, which is well, that's the it's, conservatory. A conservatory. it's a conservatory. It's a conservatory mind. But I literally, when I I substitute taught there for a while at, at the American Academy here in L.A. Sure. Yeah. And and I would talk to them about working on on cam in front of the camera and they would look at me like I was talking in another language. Yeah. And I said, have any of you kids ever? And they go, Oh, we're not supposed to do that. And I said, okay, yeah. would you yeah. like to yeah. know about how it works? Cause when I was, I taught for a while up at the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, SAG uh, conservatory up at AFI, the yep. same thing. You teach the business, you teach how things work once you get on set because the kids, they didn't know, you know, it's like we know how to audition, but we don't know what to do once we get the job. And so well, I would literally yeah. have workshops on that to teach them because it's really important to to, to pace yourself and to, to know when to do, you know, what you're supposed to do when they ask you. When they say action, that's when you go to work. And when they say cut, chill, because they're going to do it again. Well, that that's the thing. And we're just we're not taught that. And so and, and no. the ones that, that have done it, they're not out there teaching uh, it. And, well, um, there's a guy we had on the show when he, when you can't check it out. Anthony Abeson teaches it both ways in his class. Uh -huh. Yeah, okay. it both ways nonstop. Yeah, and there are other very rare, ones. though. Very rare. Yes. And, 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 and Michael Laskin, uh, who's a good friend of mine. He also teaches authenticity as an actor and sure. he's an actor as well. And so he's teaching the same thing. We've had long discussions about this very subject. Great. And um, actors just are, you know, the art form, the true art form is completely removing any of your personal mannerisms yep. and becoming the character. I, yeah. I mean, you know, Libby was one of those. Uh, Brian, you have to get rid of all your stuff. It yeah. needs to be a blank slate. She's a and, sweetheart, Libby. Yeah. Yeah, so, she's a fantastic talent. Still, still kicking it. Still rocking yeah, it. Yeah. Ryan, you're um, part. Go ahead. Go ahead yeah, finish your thought. No, no, I was just, I was just saying it, and 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 so understanding that when you walk in, see, I thought it was like the voice, like a competition. The best actor is going to get the part. Nope. And and it's not that. And so once you get that and understand, you like you always look through breakdowns, going, "Oh, I could do this part. I can do this part. I can do this part." <laughs> the truth is, are you the part? And man, I mean, like that. And once that you understand that, yeah. you go in and if you don't have that essence, no matter how good you are, you're not going to get the part. And yeah. and same thing with the technical aspect. No one ever put a mark down on the floor and said, you need to be able to hit this without cheating and looking down at it. And right. you have to hit it every time you do your scene on film or we have to do it again. Now yep. that's an important thing. If Meryl Streep misses her mark, she's got to do it again. Now, 
that's pretty important. Now, why that's not being brought up more is unbelievable. I was doing a guest star on a series recently where there were seven people in the scene. We had about 20 different colored marks on the ground that all wow. of us were supposed to be hitting. And I'm just like, what? Yeah, that's what? the way it works. This should be the norm. We should know this like the back of our hand. This yeah. is not something we're, where this should be something right. we don't know. It's we're com- yeah, we're coming up to the breath. end here. Tommy, you had something you wanted yeah, to Yeah, I got something because, Brian, you're part of something that I fell in love with in L.A. And in L.A., there's two theater scenes. There's the established one. We know that. The subscribers, the forum, blah, 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 blah. But there's an independent theater scene, and it's not underground. It's not an underground theater scene. And mm-hmm. not many cities have this anymore. L.A. still has an independent theater scene that is happening. Mm-hmm. And you're a major part of it. Oh, thanks. You talk about that theater scene as a as a as an all what you've seen, where you see it going, because now it's getting tougher because the spaces are disappearing. Yeah. Well, that's that, you know, and I'm, I've got one of them. I know I knew that if I was able to stay alive, you know, there would be a pot of gold on the other end of that rainbow because I knew this was going to destroy a real uh, a big chunk of, of our theaters. And it did. Um, and that's on top of what happened after Equity pulled their agreement. <sighs> and uh that and i was part of those negotiations yeah. with the oh I, I i went down to the town hall meeting that they had downtown at the, uh, the, uh, the latc theater. yeah and i gotta tell you as a as an equity member as well it was like yeah. what and the yeah, heck are you breaking. so where's it where do you think it's going next You're, you got your finger on the pulse of this well and it's a tough time right now man yeah. it is and, and and that's why um you know i do think this is going to shift i i think that um, doing big productions of plays and stuff isn't necessarily where it's going. Um, but, uh, you know, theater is still vital and relevant and will continue to be so. Right. Um, it just is going to change the way it looks a little bit. And that's what people um, have to understand, that it's still powerful. It still works. The only thing that wasn't there that I was been trying to fix is there's no market. And see, that's the thing. That's the problem with the equity thing. New York, there's a market. There's off-Broadway and there's Broadway, and it's a billion-dollar market. Los Angeles doesn't have that. And so how are you going to uh, raise um, pay for theaters when there's no market? And I tried to get them to understand that, but they just – they well, when I I realized that they had made a charter with the AFL-CIO and had to do that, then I realized, oh, this is this is out of our hand. There's no way. And that became very and they were they were constantly negotiating in bad faith. They were saying things that were not true. And I and being being an equity member at the time, I wasn't anymore. I couldn't believe it. I I was shocked. And then when they went against their own membership and pulled it, right, I my brain just. Well, they they were they what they were trying to do is they were trying to tell all of the L.A. actors that, you know, the group from New York was saying, we know better. You're just yes. children. Yes. We're the adults. We'll yep. make the decision. Yeah. And it was like, holy crap. I mean, I, I I find it phenomenal. But you know what? It's funny. You mentioned no matter what, with all these adversities, you're still oh. passionate. Amazing. It's great. And you're that's the thing that's so you cool. I love it. It's inspiring, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not being led by them. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I, I seek out people like Tom. Super talents, 
super kind humans and I try and work with them. And that's really, you know, all the people that work here are, are those they're yeah. kind and, and at the top of their game. And yeah. that's what I, well, that's what I glob onto. Cause that's what I found um, in the people that I've met, that those are the people that are, are, are rocking it. I mean um, yeah, not everybody are, are kind, not everybody's kind, not, every, but the ones that I have dealt with and respect, I have seen that to be the case. And so right. that, that really kind of taught me that that was the way to go with that because right. kindness and just good quality. Um, I love that quote that Bruce Dern, he said, I just want people to know that I could play. Yeah. I don't need to be the star. Right. I don't yeah. need to be the big guy. I just yeah. want people to know that I could play. And that's and exactly the message that we hope that people get from, from this show, from guests like you. Guests like you. Uh, hey, before we uh, close this out, if people want to get a hold of Brian Rasmussen or find out more about Brian and the White Fire Theater, where can they go? Social media. To, yeah, just go to uh, whitefiretheater.com. That's theater with an R-E. Um, you know, that's always that issue. <laughs> I know. I love it. Yeah. And uh, supposedly, real quick, the, the R-E is the event and the E-R is the space. Correct. But that still doesn't really hold true. I mean, Los Angeles Times still calls it E-R. Theater. Right, right. And so, you know, New York, you know, he's just, so I just, uh, do it the way I do it. And, and, uh, but yes, it's whitefiretheater.com. Um, you know, we are, like I said, an actor driven, so, um, we are independent. And so we, we decide to work on projects that we think are important and, uh, and the talent is there. Um, and we have been able to work with a lot of them. And so we continue to do so. And, um, it excites me every day. Um, when I look around me and have people like Tom uh, in my circle and uh, these incredible people, and I, I, I'm grateful on a daily basis. Um, as much stress and craziness as there is in this town and, and, and in this business, I am lucky that I get to come to the sanctuary alone inside this building and create theater. Um, wow. And that's creativity, I think, is the, is the, is the best drug that's out there. Um, you get addicted to that stuff and that, that stuff makes you feel like no other drug on this planet. Now I'm not a, a massive drug user, <laughs> certainly, certainly have had my uh, fair share and, um, creativity is, is where it's at. And so it's, a, it's your drug of choice. Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. So well, fantastic. We thank, huge, we thank you for coming on here. And, yeah, thanks, Brian. Uh, and as always, we, we say to, to our audience to get out there and do what you what like. You like. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank yeah, you. absolutely, guys. Great, great having. Uh, uh, thanks for having me and great to be here. And, you Pleasure. know, you guys are doing it as well. So, uh, you know, keep doing it. Trying, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you.